My name is William Chernoff, and today on the Rhythm Changes podcast, I want to go through my presentation that'll happen tomorrow night at Pecha Kucha New West 2021 in my hometown of New Westminster, BC. I'm one of several speakers who will do an online event, the 20 seconds per slide, 20 slides thing. I've not yet practiced what I'm going to say at all. So today, I want to go through the presentation at my own pace. This is the rambling, unedited version of what I'm presenting Saturday night. My most expensive mistakes in the music business. I've come up with six mistakes that are all quite expensive. The smallest one I've listed at $1,000. The biggest one much higher than that. Well, the biggest one is priceless, really, as you'll see. But six different mistakes that had a cost. Now, that, in some cases, was literally a cash cost, the cost of doing something. Sometimes it was an opportunity cost, the cost of not doing something. And sometimes it was an unrealized income. It was some amount of money that I could have made, but I didn't. And I've presented them from smallest to largest expense. Three of the costs have to do with my former band, Early Spirit, that I co-founded in 2018 and which came out of my partnership with Gabrielle Dubroy that started in 2016. The other three are about my own career. So let's start with one about Gabrielle and Early Spirit. This mistake was the outcome of my first time touring on Vancouver Island in British Columbia, which is just one ferry ride away from the mainland, which is where Vancouver is, and that's where I live, for those who aren't from the area. Early Spirit toured Vancouver Island for what I would call a long weekend, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, four days in December 2016. So that on the calendar was Thursday, December 1st until Sunday the 4th, or perhaps even the 5th. It depends on how long we went. But this tour didn't just happen on Vancouver Island alone. It also happened in Washington State in the United States. On the Thursday night, on December 1st, we went down to Bellevue, Washington, and performed at a showcase called Far West, F-A-R, Folk Alliance. Perhaps it stands for Folk Alliance Region, but it was part of this bigger showcasing thing called Folk Alliance. Now, of course, we played folk music. This at the time was the Gabrielle Dubroy Trio. So this is Gabrielle playing violin, me playing bass, our friend and my mentor, Jake Knudsen, singing and playing guitar. And we would do Jay's songs a little bit, but mostly Gabrielle's fiddle tunes and common Celtic and contemporary folk tunes. We would not sing a whole lot except to do some background vocals and the occasional song from Jay. So we were kind of this instrumental trio with no drums, so definitely some jazz manouche vibes, some Celtic vibes. This is what we had been doing for most of the year 2016 since Gabrielle came back to Vancouver after graduating from Berkeley and decided to partner with us. So by this time, we had performed a couple dozen shows together, probably, both local and around BC. We had recorded an album called Back to Back Bay, which is about to celebrate its fifth anniversary, a self-produced recording by Gabrielle. 
I digress. On that Thursday night in 2016, December 1st, we went down to Bellevue across the border to play this free, so we're not getting paid, hence why we were able to do it, show down there. And we ended up meeting uh, Leonard Podolak down there who would produce our album Unrelated as Early Spirit a couple years later. We met him through Michelle Shavitz, which is also very fortuitous because Michelle was a huge booster of what we were doing. So that was a a fruitful event for that reason. But the fact still remains that it didn't generate any revenue for the band, right? So this is a Thursday. Uh, We're working at our different jobs and teaching lessons and such. And we took off that Thursday, that whole day to drive across the border, do this thing and then stay overnight, right? They put us up. So at least we didn't have to pay for that expense. But, you know, thinking about these different costs, that's an opportunity cost, right? That's a day. Friday, December 2nd is where it gets pretty costly in terms of opportunity. So where is our next show, right? It's on Friday, December 2nd. It is at a place called Char's Landing in Port Alberni, BC. This is a prolific venue that's presented a lot of small groups that's run by Charlene Patterson, who's a very energetic, funny, kind person that we spent time with when we've performed there. I think Gabrielle's performed there a couple of different times. We decided to do this gig in the summer. So we book on a several months lead time, try to do it as long as possible, right? So that our calendar was certain. I thought, well, that'll work out great because we'll be in the Seattle area and we can take the Black Ball Ferry Line from Seattle to Victoria on Vancouver Island and then drive from Victoria up to Port Alberni. So if we did this, it would have taken maybe four hours to get from the Seattle area to our final destination in Port Alberni. Four hours. I was stupid, however, because the Black Ball Ferry Line does not run all year. It is seasonal. And so in December, we're there and we don't have this ferry as an option for us to travel. So what we have to do is drive back across the Canada-USA border that we came in through, then go from there to the Tawasan Ferry Terminal, which takes you to Swartz Bay on Vancouver Island, which is still quite a drive from Victoria and from the highway that takes you up to Fort Alberni. So we ended up with about a 10-hour driving commitment instead of four hours if we had that ferry. So that's a pretty big cost and time. What that looked like on the day of was probably the most stupidly demanding travel experience I've had on the road yet. Maybe you've had more if you've been touring for a while, but we woke up before 6 a.m. for sure, which is not unusual on its own. But we then spent the entire day in the car until 4 or 5 p.m. when we arrived in Port Alberni and then had to set up soundcheck and play the show. No downtime whatsoever just pedal to the metal there's even a funny sidebar there about running out of gas but i won't get into that right now (laughs) that's outside of uh, the scope of just the expensive mistake so that's friday december 2nd that's our second performance in port alberni then we have a performance at the duncan showroom which is a small venue in duncan bc also in that middle area of vancouver island and it was a good performance But we were definitely still learning how to promote ourselves. Uh, We didn't have much to show for ourselves at the time, to be fair. We had the one self-produced album. But, you know, we didn't have the processes that we would use when we would go to a new venue, new city to promote ourselves and make sure that we got a good number of people there. So at this gig, 
there were definitely less than 10 people. In terms of how many people paid for tickets, it might have been around five. So when you consider how small the Shars Landing gig was, you're talking about less than 50 people for a three-day tour paying to see us. You know, that's just not going to do it. I can't even remember if we had another show at a place called the Macmillan Art Center in Parksville, BC on this go around, or if that was a different time. That was also a small gig. That would maybe get the number up by another couple dozen. But even so, that would mean going on the road for four days, possibly five with return travel, and selling less than 100 tickets. Now, you're not going to be able to get away with that. And the only reason we marginally did was because we were three guys in one car, and we traveled very affordably and tried to get all we could out of these opportunities. Despite the fact that we did that and we had fun, I can't deny that we all had an opportunity cost taking the time away to do those things. And we probably just broke even on the expenses of doing it. So if you broke even and you got no profit out of it, I would say it's a pretty safe bet that there's about a thousand bucks in opportunity cost of us taking that time off work. So that's my first expense of the six and my most expensive mistakes in the music business so far. $1,000 of opportunity cost on Gabrielle Dubois Trio's first trip on Vancouver Island. The takeaway from this mistake is that you have to put the audience first. If you're going to sell tickets to shows, you have to prove that demand in advance before you go out there and do it. You have to de-risk it a little bit if you want to ensure profit. And we would learn how to do that quite well. We'd return to Vancouver Island multiple times over the years and make some good profit. But we had to learn how to put the audience first so that we avoided this kind of cart before the horse situation of lining up these gigs and having no way to fill the seats. So my second mistake also involves travel and the fine folks of early spirit. But this time, it's not me traveling. It is the rest of the band minus me. Now, the reason why is because I was working full time at this point. I did not have the ability to take this particular day off to fly with the band to Moncton, New Brunswick, which is pretty much all the way across Canada. If you look up how long it takes to make that flight, it's eight hours or so. The reason why we were going to Moncton was to perform at a French language music showcase. This was a smart bet for Early Spirit to make, and it turned out that it was very good strategically, even though we didn't even know how good it was quite yet. We already knew it had some promise because we did a French language showcase called Contact West, hosted on Granville Island for the Western Canadian Francophone arts scene a couple months before we did this Moncton trip. And it turns out that we got thousands of dollars in bookings out of appearing at that conference and doing a 15-minute showcase set and paying a couple hundred dollars in registration fees. So that was an excellent marketing move. That was great connections by Gabrielle to make that happen and to create some revenue for the band. This Moncton trip did not turn out that way. So for whatever reason, the band did not get any business out of going to Moncton. Sometimes you shoot the arrow and sometimes you just completely miss, right? But this was a bigger miss than normal because we had to pay for those flights. Now, it could have been even more money if there were uh, all four of us going, but we had to pay for three round-trip flights 
and accommodations and and hospitality while we were there. We did not get anything paid for to go to this conference. And we had to pay a registration fee, although I'm sure that was also only a couple hundred bucks and not like the thousands to fly. And if you put on the opportunity cost of missing a couple days of work for Gabrielle, Jay, and our drummer, Ben Kelly, it goes up even more. So all in all, in my opinion, we're out as a band about $4,000 for making that move to Moncton and getting zero revenue out of it. So that was a miss. Now, the silver lining is that if you include Contact West, the amount of profit we made from that probably covers that. We probably made more than $4,000 in profit off of the bookings from appearing at that other conference. So the Franco conference thing in general was a net positive for the band. But on that particular one, we reached too far. It could have been much more interesting in 2020 hindsight to look back at the successful gigs we got out of the Vancouver Francophone Showcase and leverage those into an appearance at the Moncton Showcase. Then we appear as a band that's better positioned for whoever's booking gigs and looking for new bands at that showcase. So we reached too far, but it was hard to know whether or not we did. So that, even though that was an expensive mistake, I can justify it. What I can't justify is this third mistake. And this is another early spirit related one. This is the last one, actually. So I suggested to the band that we let go of one of the two domains that we had been keeping. We only used the domain earlyspirit.ca. We also had earlyspirit.com, but we forwarded that to earlyspirit.ca. And when earlyspirit.com came up for renewal, I emailed the band and I suggested we let it go. This was a mistake and this is pretty cut and dry. If you go and look for this earlyspirit.com domain now, it is being resold on the market hugedomains.com for, at this time, $3,595 US dollars. So that is over $4,000. Canadian dollars, a few hundred dollars over that. So even if you net out the cost of us renewing it, we could have found a way to potentially sell this domain for some actual money if we didn't want it, other than just letting it lapse. So we gave hugedomains.com a huge deal on the domain earlyspirit.com, and I led the way in allowing it to lapse. So this one is on me. Probably about 4,300 Canadian dollars Uh, is the sale price of that domain right now. So I'm sure we could have captured some, if not most of that. I look at a domain sale as like a real estate transaction. And like the renewal of domains is like either long-term leases of land or buying land, depending on how you look at it. So if you give away a domain, it's like giving away a plot of land on the internet. I mean, one of my favorite stories of internet business of all time is um, this article called I Sell Onions on the Internet. This guy, Peter, he partnered with an onion farmer and started like a very successful business direct selling onions, like tens of thousands of pounds of them on an annual basis now, maybe even a hundred thousand pounds of onions this year. The farm only sells online. And the only reason that he got into doing this was because he liked to look for expired domains and he saw this domain name available and he compared it to like something that a writer would say where it's like, oh, the characters just kind of write themselves. You have to let them be and, and they will tell you. And the, the, the writing of their story kind of seems mechanical if you allow the character to develop in your mind. And he felt that way about domain names that 
if you capture a domain name, it will give you hints and it will tell you what could be done with it. And it will lead you to previously unknown possibilities. So the early spirit one is not quite like that because we were already using it. But clearly, uh, the domain itself just has some value for somebody who might feel like that. And we are not going to capture that value because of me. So there's the third mistake. Now we're out of early spirit. Okay, so now we're going to consider my first album, Aim to Stay. Released in October 2020, I printed CDs for this album because I needed to do a publicity campaign. And the publicity campaign would get me a bunch of press quotes and radio placements. Now, I can't tell you exactly how much revenue I'm getting from the radio yet because that revenue gets reported on quite a delay. Maybe it's already come in and that's kind of it, but... There's not any significant revenue yet from that, and there could be. So the jury's out on that, but we can basically just consider the cost of that publicity campaign as a full-on expense. I didn't get any financial value back from that, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do. I really enjoyed working with the publicist who I worked with, um, Ernesto Cervini at Orange Grove Publicity. I was not ready at this point in my career uh, to incur that kind of expense. I didn't have the margin to create that much profit that I could then put back into my release in the kind of reinvestment sort of way. So it was just a full-on investment. I was just out that much cash. I did not even sell very many of the CDs. I do intend to sell them out soon because it's a limited edition and I'm not too interested in printing more. But let's say I've sold less than 100 of them at full price, right? And I'm selling them mostly for $20. So after discounts and payment fees and stuff like that, you could maybe say I'm getting $10 of profit off of each of these CDs. So we could say I've made maybe $1,000 in profit off of the CDs, right? Uh, that is about what it cost me to make them. And so then you're left with the cost of the publicity campaign and the postage for that campaign and my own postage and shipping that amounts to maybe $5,000. So that clocks in at the fourth expense here, more than the domain name, more than the Moncton trip, more than the Vancouver trip, more than all that stuff, $5,000 of uh, out-of-pocket expense, which I got to think of as an investment in the publicity campaign for that album. I did get good press out of it. I did get good radio out of it, especially for somebody who was starting from nothing. So I can't complain about the results I got, but I can chide myself for jumping into it when it didn't necessarily make financial sense to do so. So the takeaway from that is people tell you to do things like that, that it's the regular way to promote yourself. But you have to look at your position before you just blindly decide to do something the regular way, which I usually don't do, but I did it here. And that's why it was one of my most expensive mistakes. Okay, this one is a lot of fun. This is my only one that is affiliated with the North Shore Celtic Ensemble. This is my mistake number five of six. And I made it between the years 2014 and 2016. That's my first three years that I worked at NSCE. And what I did mostly during that time was play bass at shows. I would say that my total time commitment to NSCE during those years, on average, was about 12 hours a month. It would be less than that in some months, especially in that first year. But there were also tours so I gave them two full two-week periods in the summer, 2015 and 2016, to go on tours with them, which they covered my costs. So there's some benefit there. But there were also shows and other additions to the calendar throughout the year. So while I may only have been spending 
eight to 10 hours of strictly rehearsal time with them per month. I would say on average, it's 10 to 12, maybe even more. So I'm going to call it 12 hours a month. Now, when I took this position, I did not negotiate it at all. I just jumped into it and figured out the details with them. I was tremendously happy to do so. I was just 19 years old. I had just dropped out of Kaplan University at age 18. I was very happy to have this kind of work in music, and I could see the growth potential I would have by spending time with these people, getting better at what I'm doing. And it was just a lot of fun. So I have absolutely no regrets about that. What I did, though, was I jumped into doing this for a gross pay as a freelancer of $200 per month. $200 per month. That's what I agreed to do this tremendously part-time position for. And I suppose the mistake was I did not renegotiate that at all until I was forced to by personnel changes at NSCE and having to figure out what I was doing with them entirely from scratch. But I just sat on that for three years. I did not negotiate at all. Three years where they paid me $200 per month. Okay. In addition to a couple of little extra amounts for gigs and stuff like that, but they also didn't pay me during the summer, right? So if you take away those two months, it probably adds up to like $200 a month for the 12 months of the year. Now, I found out later that somebody else who was working at NSCE doing pretty much the same thing that I was doing for pretty much the same time commitment was making $600 a month. Now, I don't think that they treated me unfairly. I just think I didn't do my due diligence because if I did, I could then ask for, hey, you're paying somebody else this much. What about me? I kind of need this much too. And this is where it gets really expensive because... $600 a month minus $200 a month, that is a $400 per month gap that I allowed to persist for 36 months before I renegotiated my pay at NSCE. And so during that time, the unrealized income that I could have received by just being paid as much as the other person if I had just bothered to negotiate a little bit more adds up to $14,400. Ouch. So that is my most expensive mistake on a, in dollar terms in the music business to date by far. The takeaway from that is you got to communicate your needs. That's what good negotiation ultimately is between two people who already like each other. It's about communicating your needs. I had no idea how to do that when I just turned 19. So of course, I didn't get it right. In the future, when I have to negotiate, I will remember this. And I won't let myself sit in a situation that I know I can negotiate better. And that brings me to the sixth and final mistake. And this one is not countable. You can't define this one in dollar terms. You could say it is priceless in a way, the the cost of this mistake. It's my biggest mistake by far. I'm still struggling with it a lot. And it still costs me a lot to this day, almost every day. And, And that is feelings of depression, beating myself up and being tremendously unkind to myself. It's been a lifelong struggle, especially for my adult life. I don't have all the answers for it yet, but I know that I need to learn how to be kind to myself. I've made people I've worked with feel uncomfortable because I've said not great things when I've been nervous. 
I have felt so bad about some of the work that I've been doing that I've purposefully tried to put it off and sabotage it to try and get a bad outcome because I felt that that's what I deserved. And I haven't felt that I deserved anything positive a lot of days. So my mindset when I wake up isn't one that I need on the road to being productive. I mean, if what I do now is all about simply I turn a profit making music, I can't afford to wake up and just think today is going to be terrible. Nothing I'm doing is good enough. I'm a total failure. And I do wake up a lot of days feeling like that. It brings down my family and sometimes my friends and colleagues too. And I'm really sorry about that. And I'm, I'm trying to work on it. That just has to be my biggest mistake because it's been it's been here my whole career. And that combined with my lack of social skills when I was a teenager because I came up kind of just being a classic nerd and a gamer and a, an isolated kind of kid uh, trying to learn how to grow up in the music world. That had some bumps too. And when you layer on the feelings of depression on top of that, I, I had a lot of negative interactions with people that were my fault. I had a lot where I just did not step in and be generous. I didn't offer the value that I know I can. And who knows how many opportunities I have missed uh, because of that. But that, that doesn't get me down thinking about it right now. It gets me really excited because I'm getting to a place now where I'm better at being kind to myself. Or at the very least, I'm really aware that this is a first order need in my life. So... I'm excited to see how much opportunity unlocks as I overcome this. But that is the biggest and most expensive mistake that I've had in the music business to date is that I haven't known how to be kind to myself. And that's changing. I'm excited to see what it looks like to have a healthy attitude, showing up, being generous, and contributing something positive whenever I can. Yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. If you like this podcast, subscribe to get more from wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really like this kind of thing, please enjoy our work at rhythmchanges.ca. That's where you'll find people like yourself telling stories about Vancouver, BC's music community. You can support us directly at patreon.com slash rhythmchanges. We're funded entirely by people like you. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time on the Rhythm Changes podcast. Rhythm Changes is a Chernoff Music production.